Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Megan and Harry make a special appearance at the NAACP Awards. And British pundits take a swipe at the Sussexes over Ukraine, but react very differently to the Cambridges. And rumors that the Queen is no longer with us get a rude awakening. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's chief royal correspondent. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, a royal watcher based in the US. And this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, Jack. Hello, listeners, and top of the morning to everyone in the palace. We have a lot of big stories today, beginning with Meghan and Harry's appearance at the NAACP Awards on February 26th. Yes, they got the President's Award, didn't they? And that was for distinguished public service. So we've seen through their Archwealth Foundation, them combating the COVID-19 pandemic, calling for vaccine equity, and also fighting for racial justice. Just a note, by the way, about what this award was and how many prestigious people have received it before. This is something that has also been received by Muhammad Ali, Colin Powell, Condoleezza Rice, Jesse Jackson, LeBron James, Rihanna, and more notable historic names. So they are in really great company, Harry and Meghan, with all these other folks who've received this award from the NAACP. During the couple's acceptance speech, Megan said it's inspiring to think about the legacy of the Image Awards, which began shortly after the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965 were passed into law. Today, we can continue that legacy by reestablishing federal voting protections in our country and fulfilling the work of civil rights giants like the late John Lewis. And we got Harry as well saying that the black community has welcomed him so warmly, which I think is interesting to see. Um, so he, he kind of acknowledged that he's obviously come from a very different background from Meghan. Um, but he said that they were brought together for a reason and share a commitment to a life of service. Uh, so that was nice to nice to hear him acknowledge the fact that obviously I think he, you know, he is a quite arguably privileged white person accepting an award <laughs> from the NAACP. I think it was important to have that out there and said openly. Absolutely. I totally agree. I do like that they are dipping their toes into real politics here. And I know that not everybody likes that. Not everyone feels that they should be speaking on these issues. And it's not the only time they've done it. But I'm really glad personally they did that, Jack. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think it's really interesting that we're seeing Meghan tackle not just politics, but the politics of Washington, D.C. again. Yes. Um, this is something that's clearly a big part of how she sees her future role. Um, and we've got her. It's a it's a Biden policy that she's referencing there. The mm-hmm. Obviously, I, I don't mean necessarily that he came up with it originally, but that he is trying to push through. Congress. Um, So we're seeing her get stuck in again to a subject that obviously she could not have tackled while she was in the royal family, but obviously has the freedom to now that she's left. 
it's fascinating for me to see because obviously people constantly throw this thing out there you know is Megan Gennel run for president one day obviously <laughs> in reality <laughs> there are a lot of jobs and roles within politics that's fall short of being president but I mean you know arguably Amer- uh, Megan is already doing that kind of lobbying uh, you know pushing specific issues that are important to her um, Megan talked about voter suppression in the run-up to the 2020 presidential mm-hmm. election this is this piece of legislation she's talking about uh, speaks to that specific subject. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, she has lobbied on a number of issues and been a goodwill ambassador on a number of issues. And she got extra practice with that, of course, when she was with the royal family, but she had to walk a fine line about how far she could go, how much she could say, and so on. So to me, it's it's a joy to see her able to actually speak her truth, to talk about what she wants to. And we know that she has a political science background with her education, too. And these are things that she's always wanted to pursue. So it's great to see her being able to do that. But can we also just talk about something a little bit more frothy about how they looked? Yes, (laughs) please. Go for it. Yeah. I just want to point out that Harry and Meghan looked fantastic at this awards show, as one would expect. It's an awards show after all. Meghan was wearing a one-shoulder kind of color block blue floor-length gown. We have to note that they brought Doria Ragland as their plus one. That's Meghan's mom. And she was wearing a very slim-fitting knee-length black dress. And Anthony Anderson, who is the MC of the show, he also brought his mom as a plus one, and they were all photographed together. And Anthony Anderson's mom, whose name, by the way, is Doris, she was wearing this fabulous floral frock that I want. If anybody can find that dress, please get this dress for me. It's floor length. It's beautiful. And one last thing, both the men, of course, looking very classy in black tuxes. Yes, and we actually have a new staff reporter at Newsweek um, who had a fantastic spot this week. He's uh, he's a new royal reporter working for us, James Crawford-Smith, and he noticed that uh, Meghan's dress to the NAACP Awards is actually really similar to one that was worn by Princess Diana in 1988 in Thailand. Yes, a different color palette, notably, but very similar in how the colors are working together. So Megan's dress was kind of a deep royal blue with sort of a turquoise sash that went over the one shoulder. And it's just a beautiful dress on Megan. And Diana's dress was more of a fuchsia sort of hot pink and then had a purple sash going over one shoulder. Uh, If you ever see one of the photos, you'll recognize immediately the resemblance between these two dresses. They're both terrific. And I just think if indeed this was supposed to be, you know, kind of a subtle shout out to Princess Diana, it is a beautifully done shout out. It is a beautiful dress and it's a beautiful moment. It's a diplomatic moment on this stage receiving this kind of award and a moment to speak about what really matters. Yes, and I think the subtle references are arguably the best ones. Um, and I think Megan had some of Diana's jewellery on as well, including her engagement ring, which obviously had jewels from Diana's collection. Of course. Um, so really nice to see that obviously they brought Doria with them, but they also made sure that Princess Diana was kind of represented as well. So, that, you know, both both their mothers were represented as they collected this award. Oh, that's a beautiful way to look at it, Jack. I love that. I love that. (laughs) I I honestly do not think that that was an accident. I think 100% that is 
that will be deliberate. There's this old story, isn't there, about Harry, that Kate's engagement ring given to her by Prince William was actually inherited by Harry from Diana. And Harry gave it to William to give to his bride so that when Kate eventually becomes queen, there will be a small piece of Diana on the throne um, <gasps> that she oh. had been destined destined for. That is a fabulous nugget of knowledge that I don't think I knew that before. Yeah, that came out via Paul Burrell, who's the former royal butler to Princess Diana, was around at the point that both brothers were given the opportunity to pick something that they would inherit from Diana's collection. And William chose a Cartier watch, and um, Harry chose this uh, absolutely phenomenal, you know, boulder of a sapphire engagement ring uh, which was diana's engagement ring and now sits on the finger of kate middleton that is incredibly generous of harry oh that just makes me love harry even more i i've always loved harry <laughs> but i love him even more from hearing that story he's he clearly he's into the symbolism isn't he i think he really is genuinely into the symbolism of, of these moments i think william as well at the time of that wedding said that he felt that diana was you know kind of like symbolically present as him and Kate got married. Yes, she'll never leave us. She's always with us. Diana is here and the boys are making sure she uh, will always be in our memories. That's great. And obviously there is one other thing that Harry and Meghan did say at the NAACP Awards, which was they showed their support for Ukraine. And that leads us on perfectly into our next segment when we come back from a very quick break. So please do remember to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you get your podcast. Hi, everyone. We are back with our second story of the day. As we mentioned, Meghan and Harry voiced their support for Ukraine during their acceptance speech at the NAACP Awards, but that wasn't their first time voicing support. They actually did that a few days earlier. They uh, denounced Putin's breach of international law. They voiced support for the people of Ukraine. And two days later, William and Kate posted a similar statement on Twitter you know, all fairly straightforward stuff so far, right, Jack? Oh, no, never, never straightforward in royal reporting, Kristen. So <laughs> the first thing that happened was Harry and Meghan actually got out of the blocks really quickly on this. They posted their message of support for Ukraine on Thursday, um, i.e. the day that, Pu that Putin went in and the day the invasion started. And when they did, they got this kind of chorus of, I don't, not, maybe not even condemnation, but it was it was very kind of sneery dismissal, dismissal kind of along the lines, oh, yeah, you know, that's going to stop Putin. What's the point? You know, what's the point of saying it? But then what was quite interesting is two days later on the Saturday, William and Kate posted quite a similar statement, also expressing their support and solidarity with the people of Ukraine. And obviously, not only were they not criticised for it, but ultimately, in the end, President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine actually thanked them for it. So it, it's just really striking, I think, to see this for me is actually probably one of the most striking examples of the often referenced uh, different way that um, Meghan and Harry's actions are treated versus William and Kate's. Obviously, yes. I'm not suggesting for a minute that Zelensky was part of that um, <laughs> <laughs> part of that contradiction. He is uh, he's obviously the president of Ukraine. He's being invaded by Russia. He's got other things on his mind. But it, it's quite striking, isn't it? I mean, it, they both expressed support. Obviously, neither William and Kate nor Harry and Meghan have the capacity to stop Putin. But that's also kind of not the point. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this over and over and over again. 
with a wide range of topics and issues. Everything from Megan's love of avocados means that she's in favor of drought and international human rights violations. Meanwhile, Kate loves avocados, and they're great for her morning sickness. And when William brings them to her, oh, isn't that a wonderful expression of love he has for his wife? I mean, everything from avocados to the shoes they wear to how they interact with members of the public, Kate has historically been praised for the same things that Megan is derided for. So this is yet another example of this. We've seen it over and over and over again. So just a little bit on what they actually said. So Harry and Meghan released a statement through their Archerweld website saying they stand with the people of Ukraine against this breach of international and humanitarian law and encourage the global community and its leaders to do the same. Um, Kate and William used their Twitter account to say to reference the fact that they met Zelensky um, and his wife uh, in back in October 2020 and said, today we stand with the president and all of Ukraine's people as they bravely fight for that future. Um, and they signed it W and C for William and Catherine. Mm-hmm. Now, to me, those are strikingly similar statements, and which is why I say I think that this is one of the most kind of clear-cut um, examples of a different reaction. So, some of the people who criticised Harry and Meghan include, you know, Piers Morgan, um, of being probably <laughs> one of them, probably one of their most regular critics. There are also some some other slightly more like. Uh, slightly more kind of left of field commentators for especially for americans but there's a guy called darren grimes who has become a kind of like a figure figurehead of the, that sort of like anti-woke anti-socially progressive politics thing um in britain and he has a show on gb news uh, there's also a bloke called mike graham who is on talk radio um but i do actually also have a an admission Kristen, and you might have a go at me for this. I have an admission, which is I don't buy the avocados example. I'd have long thought that, and please, by all means, have a go at me about it and talk me around. But this is the reason why I don't buy it, and please feel free to disagree with me. I already am. You already are, exactly, exactly. But here's why I don't buy it, because the story, I completely get the criticism of the story about Meghan, 100% not pushing back on that. However, the story about Kate wasn't actually about her liking avocados. It was somebody on a, on a, Prince William did a royal job. He did one of these walkabouts where he meets the public and a member of the public gave him an avocado and said, give it to Kate, basically. Um, and so obviously, you know, you're going to accept the avocado in that situation. But also, like, do we really think Kate actually ate that avocado? Like, I don't I'm think she did. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the media coverage of that moment. Of course, The media of course, coverage of, course, of the course. moment was completely set up to show that, William loves Kate so much that he brings her her beloved avocado for morning sickness. That's the press coverage. The press didn't have to frame the story that way. They chose to. But they have done numerous positive stories about Meghan at those kinds of events, which didn't relate to avocados. But the, <laughs> the point is that at the point, there was only one journalist who wrote the avocado story. Well, actually, I guess it could have been picked up. But there was one journalist who kind of made the avocado story a thing, who worked for the Daily Mail. And he, uh, he found some report that was knocking about, which, suggest, which linked avocados to human rights abuses and climate change, etc., etc. And then he used Meghan as his way into writing that story to say, you know, whatever. I think he said something like it was a faux pas or something like that. So for me, in terms of the actual comparison, I don't see how you can use the Kate example to create the Daily Mail story 
because the cake example wasn't about her liking the avocados. Now, none of this, I need to stress, is me pushing back on the notion that Megan got a harder, a harder ride and harsher treatment than Kate. Like I said, this is exactly what we're talking about. I just personally <laughs> wanted to say that I yes, don't buy well, the avocado example. Well, I do because the press has an option of how they choose to cover these stories. Why did they choose to bring Megan into an avocado story about human rights abuses in the first place? And that's a that's decision a they made. That's a legitimate point. Yeah, yes. exactly. And, and the, I'm just point. saying the press has an option of how they can cover stories or not. Megan, whose hand is on her you know, pregnancy bump, is considered a new age wacko who can't keep her hands off herself and is trying to draw attention to her bump. Meanwhile, when Kate does the same thing, look at this loving mother-to-be. You know, the press has a choice of how they choose to cover things. And they're choosing angles that are completely unnecessary and in many cases, outright abusive. So that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying what actually happened in the moment. I'm saying what did the press choose to do in their coverage of that moment? And they can do better. I completely agree on the pregnancy bump stuff. It was, uh, it was, it was absolutely ridiculous that one. And there, you know, there are other examples that are ridiculous as well, like Megan wearing black nail varnish. I, I don't recall whether Kate's ever worn black nail varnish, but it was certainly an incredibly petty and ridiculous thing to pick up. But yeah, I mean, you know, this uh, this one about Ukraine ran and ran. I was getting personally at mentioned in posts about it, <laughs> <laughs> and for several days, for several days afterwards. I do want to point out also, Jack, that the very same day that Meghan and Harry issued their statement expressing support for the people of Ukraine, do you know what the Daily Mail published? What did they publish? It was a gushing editorial about Kate Middleton, and the very first sentence of this editorial read, no one holds the Duchess of Cambridge in greater esteem than the male, and they called her a perfect ambassador and powerful force for good. And notably, none of this is because Kate was showing support for Ukraine. That was still two days away for her and William. It was because she paid a royal visit to Denmark and chopped wood while she was there. And you know what? That actually, not only does that coincide with Ukraine, but it was also at the same time that Prince Harry filed his libel lawsuit against the Mail on Sunday. Um, which is obviously the other big news from last week. Is he So he is suing the Mail on Sunday over an article that they published about his judicial review of the UK government. Um, and um, so on the same day that that court case was kind of uh, uploaded onto the public court filing system at the High Courts in London, uh, the, Mail on, the Daily Mail, so the sister title to the Mail on Sunday, went to print with this obviously very gushing um, <laughs> account of Kate. Uh, and I always love this when the royals get praised for the most basic, basic things. Like, don't get me wrong, Kate, I don't, I, I don't have a problem with Kate. And it was a great tour. She was smiling. She was happy. They were great pictures. Absolutely no problem with that. But it's the over the topness of the yes. of the editorializing it just it goes too far you know she chopped wood and she went on a ramble with some school children which is all very lovely and great but um it is also things that other royals have done that uh, other people have done and you know in all honesty it's like some aspects of being royal aren't the hardest and it's, it, <laughs> it gets kind of embarrassing when they get overpraised for doing things that ordinary people can quite easily do All right. On that note, we're going to take one more quick break. But before we do, a reminder to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Kristen Meinzer and Jack is at Jack underscore Royston. When we're back, the queen is not dead. 
More on that in a moment. Hi, everyone. We're back with our final story of the day. And to be frank, Jack, I I would not even call this a story. I would just say it's an outlandish rumor. For the past couple weeks, a false report has been circulating that the queen is dead. Uh, Jack, you and I have been fielding a ton of requests about when and how she passed away. But no, the fact is the monarch is very much alive. Jack, can you tell us more about how this whole rumor started and what this is all about? So it was actually partly the the time zone difference, I think, probably played a, played a role in this. So what happened was on February the 22nd, a, for those who don't know it already, a gossip website called Hollywood Unlocked, run by a man called Jason Lee, par, par, um, published what appeared to be a completely sensational and extraordinary story, basically, that the Queen had passed away, um, that she was supposed to be a guest at Edward Ennenfall's wedding, uh, big showbiz wedding, uh, A-listers. He's the British editor of Vogue magazine. And um, obviously, many, many of the great and the good of British society are supposed to be there. However, to anyone from Britain or anyone who's a royal watcher, it's obviously inconceivable to think that the Queen would be a guest at the tender age of 95, and especially while she was supposed <laughs> to be isolating from COVID. However, this all happened quite late into the evening UK time, which meant that it had a whole, like, hours and hours and hours of run um, in California and in and out in America um, while Britain was mainly asleep. I, for one, was asleep when all of this happened and woke up to it the next morning. Meanwhile, I was getting a ton of pings on my phone. Kristen, is this real? What's going on here? (laughs) (laughs) And what was so awful about it is that obviously because she does have COVID and because the palace don't want to maintain a running commentary on these things, it's... you know, I think it, it it went completely viral, gathered a huge amount of steam and momentum, and it was very difficult for people to definitively say that it was false in the kind of early hours after it happened. You could only really say that it was very, 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 very unlikely to be true. Um, but, you know, obviously people were worried about the Queen at the time. She had COVID. Um, but Jason Lee, uh, far from kind of taking people's warnings seriously, doubled down and then tripled down. And mm-hmm. then there was it became completely farcical because somebody operating a, a account called Hollywood Unlocked that used Hollywood Unlocked branding on Twitter posted a statement saying that it was all untrue and the, the website was going to retract the claim. Jason Lee got hold of this and said that it, that it was some kind of a fake account or they'd been hacked or something <laughs> like that and that it was all nonsense and he was again, he was tripling down and convinced that the story was going to be true, that a statement was going to be imminent from the palace. And I think I suspect that he had this kind of view of the royals that if a story like that was false, that they would just come out immediately and tell everybody and you know that they're kind of almost at his back and call to tell him whether the queen's alive or dead 24 hours a day um whereas obviously the palace don't do you know they don't do that they don't kind of you know feed the gossip by responding to it no and we have to point out that there were some telltale signs that jason lee's story just it did not ring true from the get-go he, he had certain language in the story that the palace would never ever release or endorse like the queen was quote found dead for example they would never say that. They would never say that, oh, like, did, did we hear them say Prince Philip's body was found dead somewhere? They would never even use that language. And in the ensuing days, they were making public appearances, the rest of the royal family, and not in mourning clothes. You know, Kate, when she was out there chopping wood in Denmark, she was wearing, you know, a gray suit, for example. Like, 
So many things did not ring true about this or ring true about how they would even announce a death. Like we all know that outside the gates of the palace is where they put a statement if somebody dies. None of this stuff was happening. Yeah, government departments have been given 10 minutes to get the flags flying at half mast. So it's going to be once the announcement is made, it's going to be it's going to be everywhere all at once and inescapable across the world. But my favorite my two of my favorite telltale signs that this was not true was one, he talked about the royal kingdom, which is just such a classic kind of, you know, like a, a phrase that somebody who doesn't know anything about the royal family might use, but it's just absolutely <laughs> it sounds never. like it's from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Absolutely. But then the other one, and this is actually my favorite de- detail of the whole debacle, is that he went on to Miami to live blog a listening party for Kanye West's album Donda 2. So you've just if you've just broken <laughs> like a world exclusive with the death of the world's longest reigning living monarch, Britain's longest reigning monarch in history, head of state in 15 countries. Like with the amount of like ramifications and fallout that's going to happen when when the queen dies to just then go on and act as if you know you've done your queen story now we're back to donda too like it's not <laughs> that is not how these things are going to work it's no. like the, when um when the previous king george the sixth died they actually stopped business for the day in both houses of congress like it, the whole world is going to stop when the Queen does eventually pass away. And, in, you know, maybe even Kanye might stop stop his Donda 2 listening party. Who knows? Couldn't, couldn't assume. Wouldn't want to speculate. Yeah. And by the way, less than a week after this supposed world exclusive came out, the Queen was once again meeting ambassadors via video from Windsor Castle. And these are not fake meetings. We know for a fact that these ambassadors are like newly appointed people and so on. So, yeah, the proof is right there. The Queen is alive and well. She's working. She's fine. I have to say that, Kristen, I did breathe a bit of a sigh of relief when I saw those pictures because I was starting to get worried. Like, obviously, all joking aside, Hollywood unlocked aside, Jason Lee aside, I was starting to get a bit worried when they cancelled the second round of scheduled meetings that the Queen had last week. Because, you know, I mean, she is, she's 95. She's coming up on 96 in April. And COVID, even if you're, when you're that age, even if you're double, triple vaxxed, there's no absolute you know, guarantee of anything. And um, I suddenly started to worry about it as the week wore on. And I was like, I suddenly thought we're going we're gonna to hit that weak milestone because that's how it works with COVID, isn't it? That's what they all, always used to say during the early stages of the pandemic, that weak milestone is a big one. So I came into work on Monday morning and asked for an update and I was told that there's not going to be a running commentary. And I'm not going to lie, I was starting to worry about it. Obviously, it's going to happen at some point. There is going to come a time when it happens. But it started to dawn on me that it could, you know, hopefully now this is a strong sign that she's hopefully recovered um, and certainly recovered enough that she can have virtual meetings again. Yes. Wow. Don't work too hard, Queen. We want you to take care of yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And Jack, that's it for this week's episode of The Royal Report. Be sure to join us every other week when we visit the latest royal headlines, embark on some royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jack Royston. Thanks for listening, everyone. And a curtsy to you all. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.